Welcome back to the Groundless Ground Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Dale Miller. This episode is an exploration of the value of non-harming and its practice in daily life. We'll focus on the Buddhist psychological view of the causes of harming, and then engage in a short mind training exercise to cultivate equanimity. Wanting a greater sense of control is a primary reason many people reach out for psychotherapy. Some think a strong desire for control is actually a sign of mental illness. My view is wanting to control causes and conditions is more about humanness than illness. So in a session, when a patient raises the issue of control, I immediately initiate dialogue to determine exactly what kind of control they seek. A common response is, I want to control what's happening at work, or in my relationship, or with my kids, or my parents. Sometimes people feel powerless about what's happening in their government or community. These are the kinds of control that in the end look like learning how to engage more wisely and compassionately in life, and I am very happy to aid that endeavor. When I hear instead that they want more control over their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, the dialogue then becomes about the difference between controlling distressful internal phenomena and having the spaciousness of mind to know distressful phenomena as it is, and then responding wisely to its arising. When people are enslaved by internal distress, they often have no frame for how much harm they are actually doing to themselves and others. Many of the people who come to work with me have childhood trauma histories and deeply embedded assumptions about how they deserve to be treated. So distorted are these internal schemas that trauma sufferers can in their adult lives unknowingly become their own worst perpetrator. Living with a mind steeped in afflictive self-narratives that give rise to inner and outer distress, like self and other harming, anxiety, depression, addiction, and relational discord. From a Buddhist psychological perspective, all acts of harm arise from distorted views and their resulting injurious reactivity, which often manifests as anger or hatred, fearfulness, othering, and selfishness. Buddhist psychology characterizes all these feelings as aversion of one sort or another. In the presence of aversive stimuli, our species has evolved to react quickly, often without forethought, and like craving, aversion often leads to thoughts, behaviors, and feelings that instigate suffering. This means unthinkable acts of violence and other forms of harm will invariably be perpetrated by human minds overwhelmed with mental, emotional, and physical suffering. Though cognitive psychologist Steven Pinker insists the data shows we are living in a time of decreased violence, our current chaotic and divisive social and political climate does make it seem otherwise. So for me, cultivating nonviolence and non-harming is always worthy of discussion. In Buddhist psychology, an overwhelmed mind is an unawakened mind. As you might guess, the Buddhist psychological prescription for an unawakened mind is developing an awakened mind. And then you might wonder, what kind of awakening would actually lead a human being to choose nonviolence in the midst of violence? 
or non-harming activity as a vehicle for preventing injustice or chastening wrongdoing? These are good questions that deserve good answers. To do that, we must first explore what is meant by the term awakening. Awakening means intentionally cultivating curiosity about the mind's habitual reactivity to pleasurable and painful stimuli and the myriad ways this reactivity obscures human perception. Awakening also means clearing the obscurations of perception by attending with interest and openness to the actuality of experience, both internal and external. I would say in general, every Buddhist psychological or integrative psychotherapeutic intervention is ultimately targeted at increasing capacity for calm, clear perception and wise, compassionate action. That effort involves intentional use of four skills, self-reflectivity, vigilant mindfulness, unbiased kind-heartedness, and mental restraint. Yeah, I know, that seems like a very tall order, especially when we're under adverse conditions. And in many ways, it is a lot to expect. Thankfully, it's possible to parse something so huge into smaller, more achievable steps. Step one is identifying specific problematic assumptions that foster harmful intent. A good example is when we characterize one group or one person as the problem and absolve ourselves or those like us of any involvement or accountability. It is easy to say, I don't do harm, they do, or I can harm them because they harmed me or my loved ones, friends, or fellow citizens. People are more likely to harm or kill those they feel are not like them. We humans are tribal animals, and we're conditioned to take care of in-group members and eschew out-group members. The results of oxytocin research confirms that hypothesis. The hormone oxytocin enables cooperation, care, and competing. For example, oxytocin production increases in new parents to ensure attachment to and caregiving of offspring. Yet experiments show when oxytocin is given to study participants, its effect increases feelings of affection only within group members and not between different groups. In these studies, oxytocin is also shown to heighten aggressive defending of one's own group against outside rivals. So even a love hormone like oxytocin can be a player in furthering distorted beliefs and inciting acts of harm. Distortions in judgment occur because we don't recognize the shared causes and conditions that underlie mental, emotional, and physical violence. Acknowledging shared causes is step two of practicing non-harming and non-reactivity. Buddhist psychology asserts we are all subject to the arising of afflictive thoughts and feelings, which influence our choices and actions to lesser or greater extents. That means every human being shares collectively in the causes of human suffering, our own afflictions as well as the afflictions of others. So when people come into psychotherapy to lessen their own suffering, whether they know it or not, they are on some level contributing to the diminishment of collective human suffering. Of course, it's always best to hold a conscious intent to heal oneself for the benefit of all other beings, Yet that intent may, in the beginning of treatment, be difficult for some to imagine or support. 
compassionate intent grows with familiarity and experience. The Buddha famously taught, hatred never ends through hatred, by non-hate alone does it end. The same can be said of harming, which never sees its final end through more harm. That is an awakened view arising from an awakened mind, one that recognizes everything that comes to be arises dependently upon many causes and conditions. The key to actuating the Buddha's insights on non-harming in our daily lives is aspiring to embrace nonviolence in body, speech, and mind, no matter what conditions we may meet. Again, that is a tall order. In practice, that aspiration means cultivating an attitude of equality and kindness toward all beings as best we are able. As best we are able makes that aspiration doable. When we find ourselves in the midst of harmful circumstances that give rise to mindless reactivity, such as setting ourselves apart or denying a role we may have in perpetrating or continuing harm, we must rely upon a conscious effort to self-reflect with vigilant mindfulness and do what we can to facilitate unbiased kind-heartedness by restraining thoughts of anger, hatred, and fearfulness. These four skills are the root of non-harming, from which comes the tree of non-reactivity. Our distinct human endowment is that we can get lost in heedlessness. Yet we can also recollect our capacity for skillful application of wisdom and compassion. When I feel agitated, frustrated, or angry, if I make the effort to self-reflect on what is arising, to meet the thoughts, feelings, and body sensations with awareness, my mindless assumptions and overreactivity will diminish. Then my attitude naturally softens toward myself or others, and that softening makes mental restraint possible. For me, mental restraint manifests as an intentional reassertion to practice non-harming in the midst of internal and external harm. These fundamental skills are what I deliver to patients in the early stages of treatment because of their effectiveness for lessening inner and outer harm. One skill I'd like to share now is training in equanimity, which is extremely helpful for lessening the arising of harmful internal reactivity. So let's practice together. We'll do a simple equanimity exercise. If you're listening in the car, do not close your eyes. You can engage in the exercise. However, your primary job right now is being aware and mindful with your driving. So you might want to wait till you get home to engage in this exercise. I invite the rest of you to join me now. Imagine three different people standing before you. The first person is a loved one, someone that's really easy to love. The second person is a neutral person, someone you don't have any particular feelings about one way or the other. And the third person is a challenging person. Not your most challenging person, but somebody who brings up some kind of distress. As you begin to bring these three people to mind, let your natural emotions about each one of them arise and notice any differences in your attitude toward these three individuals. You might feel close to your loved one, 
You might have some ambivalence toward the neutral person, and possibly there might be some discomfort or enmity arising toward the challenging person. Just take a minute or so to really allow yourself to experience your natural emotions about these three people. Now I'd like you to self-reflect about the possible causes for the reactions that are arising about these three people. You've probably noticed some attraction, maybe some aversion arising in your mind, in the feeling space, or even in your body. See if you can identify and have some intimacy with how attraction and aversion manifest for you. Remember to be curious and not judgmental. Notice if some of your reactivity comes from assuming you will always feel this way about these people or these people will never change. And if so, notice any agitation or upset that comes with those kinds of assumptions. Now we're going to switch gears a bit. I'd like you to consider what all three of these people share in common. Their humanness, their complexity, a desire to be happy and live without pain and suffering. Reflect on the causes and conditions that give rise to the pain and suffering they may experience in their lives. And of course, consider any role you may have, directly or indirectly, knowingly or unknowingly, in their pain and suffering.
This can be particularly interesting when it comes to the person you find challenging. If you engage with this inquiry honestly, a softening of your attitude toward all three of these individuals, and maybe even toward yourself, might begin to manifest. See if you can generate a sense of generosity toward the plight of human existence, with all its foibles and imperfections, and the harms that those foibles and imperfections may cause. And know that all of you experience this in one way or another. That knowing is a cause for the arising of equality, of equanimity. Now allow your mind and heart to form an aspiration for their well-being, a genuine desire for each one of these three people to experience lessening of suffering and increase of freedom and contentment and see what it feels like to want that equally for each one of these people, not wanting it more for your loved one or for yourself and less for the neutral and challenging person. Forming an aspiration for all of their well-being is a cause for the arising of equality, of equanimity. And as you do this, you may notice a certain kind of feeling in your body. You may notice a shift in your emotions. And you may also notice a quality of mind that may be more calm and clear. See if you can let that aspiration palpably manifest from your heart, from your mind. May you all experience lessening of suffering and an increase of freedom and contentment. And include yourself. After all, you are a human being just like them, which means you are equally deserving of this lessening of suffering and increase of freedom and contentment. And now I invite you to let the image of these three people go. And again, let your awareness just open to the feeling in your body, your mind, and your heart. I invite you to feel free to use this practice to cultivate the aspiration of non-harming in your daily life. Thanks for listening to today's show. Groundless Ground podcast is now available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. To find out more about this episode, 
see a list of upcoming guests, or get in touch, visit groundlessground.com. Now let's dedicate our efforts to the healing of our planet and all its inhabitants. See you next time on the Groundless Ground.